Today our guest is Amy Moy, formerly Amy Atkinson. She is a proud Biola University graduate with a Master's of Arts in Teaching. She is a third culture kid and adult who has lived abroad in Germany, Guam, and South Korea. She is a former Guam Olympian and now shares her love of education, athletics through coaching and teaching. Hi Amy, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So you've had a lot of opportunities to teach in many places around the world. Do you have a favorite and and can you tell us why? Oh, that is a tough question. Um, I'm going to give the political answer and say that each one uh, was unique <laughs> because I was teaching um, yeah, different subjects in each uh, assignment I was at and in a very different cultural uh, country context. So I'd say that they all hold a special place in my heart for different um, reasons. Um, I've been in Korea for the longest, so I'd say right now that's probably my favorite just because I'm invested in my students and athletes here. Do you think that's um, where you'll finish up is in, in South Korea? Actually, yeah. The, we just made the big decision. My husband's been here for 12 years um, oh. teaching at the international school. We met here. Um, we made a big decision this last week that we're going to take a one-year sabbatical back in Canada um, wow. and then wow. probably go back overseas again to teach, um, either come back to Korea or uh, go to another uh international context we really enjoy working oh. with expat students so mm-hmm. we're not sure though we're we're open to see mm-hmm. um where doors lead but but yeah we we love teaching but we felt like in order to be good teachers you have to refresh and reflect and see how you can improve uh, personally have balance and so we're going to do a year um, oh, as a family that's yeah. awesome how cool yeah that is really cool and one of the really cool things about this about this podcast is that we've we've been meeting teachers from all over the world, so we could introduce you to yeah people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the one of the items that that has always fascinated me is traveling and and the and the many ways that I've I've really learned a lot about myself in every single place that I that I visited. Can you? Can you talk about that, about how how your life has, I don't want to say changed, but, um, you know, what have you learned about you? Great question. Yeah. I think um, in the different areas where I taught, first I taught in Guam um, public schools, and then I taught in Oregon at a private small Christian school. And then I've been working in South Korea at a very, um, pretty intense um, international preparatory school and it's um, students that whose parents are business people or embassy uh, families and so in all those contexts like I said each culture has been very different and I think um, I've learned just the importance of as the teacher being humble and open to learning about my context before I just come in with all of my ideas and how I think something is supposed to work so I think I've learned about myself through being observant of my culture or the culture that I'm in. And from that, then I find myself like realizing like, oh, I deal with stress in this way. And 
um, this is how the people around me deal with that. Or um, I've learned that I have a lot of uh, empathy for this, so I feel things really deeply. So as I get to know that culture, those students, then I'm more invested in that place. And it's it's hard to to leave even, even though I've moved a lot, you really feel like you become a part of that um, place. Um, so yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is um, that I love adventure, I love travel, I love learning, um, but also that I'm deeply um, empathetic and a feeler. And so I think, mm. yeah, you, you start to feel like each of those places are your homes and that culture is a little bit a part of you. That's really cool. Um, speaking of Guam, um, one of the things that 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 I remembered um, vividly was seeing you march for Guam. Um, you know, if if our if our listeners don't 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 know, you you represented Guam in which now the twenty twelve London Olympics. Twenty twelve London Olympics, and when you were walking out, I was so excited. Um, I was, I, of course, I wasn't there. I was just watching you. So. Talk about that. How did you get get in, in, in involved with that? Because in as as part of your undergrad, you ran distance, correct? Yes. Yeah. Actually, um, it's kind of crazy how our stories weave. I think of all of our each person's stories as big tapestry that's being woven together, and all right. the pieces connect. Um, but for Guam, um, if people don't know, Guam is um, owned by the United States, but it's a, a territory, and so um, since they don't have all the same uh, rights such as like the voting to right to vote for president like the u.s kind of allows them to still represent themselves as a country athletically so they have their own like national team or olympic team so i grew up in guam from uh, middle school on from eighth grade on and so i was competing in soccer at biola actually but i was also a decent runner um, and i really enjoyed that and i ended up getting um, injured um, in soccer and so i decided to put my pursuits into running and yeah, just started uh, racing for Guam, going all over the South Pacific and gaining points and things. And yeah, Guam asked me if I would be uh, be willing. A year before the Olympics, they asked if I would uh, want to compete for a spot. So wow. I did. So it's pretty cool how that, that happened. And then because of that, that's actually what led me to go back and teach there my first year. I, I got a California teaching credential, so I thought I was going to okay. stay in California and look for a job. But I really felt like if I was going to represent this place where I grew up, then I should go back and give to the local kids and athletes there after, oh, that's cool. after representing the country. That's really cool. So how is that experience? Because you do know you're like one of one <laughs> million people to have competed. Yeah, so. it's, it's pretty, it's still very, uh, I never want to take it for granted. I'm not super public about it just because, you know, I, I, I know that it's rare sometimes, so I don't want to uh, advertise it um, because it was such a unique journey, but I'm also forever grateful. And I know, um, yeah, not not very many people get that experience, but it was incredible. I, I loved getting to meet people from all over the world and just uh, see, yeah, see how sports uh, unites people um, and allows opportunities. And yeah, I was, uh, Guam is, is a unique place. There's uh, all these countries, um, because the Olympics is all about including every country from the world. If that country has never had someone qualify for the A standard, then they will allow um, the country to choose their top athlete to go in and compete, but they have to meet a certain basic level, yeah. like uh, qualifying standard. So I got to race in and compete against other Oceania athletes and, and get the standards. So. Mm. Oh, nice. That's so cool. Nice. 
in your experience teaching um, at these other locations, like in Oregon and Guam, and now you're in uh, South Korea, what have you noticed about like the education systems? Um, like, how have they differed across, you know, different countries and states? Great question. Yeah, I think um, part of it is hard to relate uh, to compare. Uh, uh, how would I say it? fairly because I taught in a public school in Guam and then I taught at a private school in Oregon. So it wasn't like public school versus public school per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest difference is um, at both of them is sometimes the value um, put on education by like the parents and not just the students. Um, so like, for example, in Guam public school, it's more of this thing, like everybody, needs to go to school, right? People appreciate the value of education, but it's a lot more of a, it's a place for students to be, right? To stay out of trouble, to learn the basic things. And I was teaching seventh grade language arts and I love those kids. It was amazing, but there's not a lot of funding that goes into the public schools. And so I had like 30, 35 kids in a classroom and a chalkboard and not really, you know, we had to buy our own uh, paper or things like that, just because um, at that time the economy was was struggling. So there wasn't a lot of resources for teachers. but I saw how no matter whether you're in a you know school that has a ton of resources financially or not, students still either have the same disinterest or interest for the subject, depending on how you teach and how you care about them and are passionate. So um, I, I loved teaching in Guam, but it definitely was a lot harder because I felt like parents weren't as invested um, as a whole into because they weren't like paying for the education, et cetera. Yeah. Um, where in Oregon, um, I was working in a high school, um, high school English, and it was smaller classes, a really small town community, and the parents were like always volunteering, seeing mm-hmm. what what you needed, and they, the students were getting that pressure as well, you know, to yeah. for their grades. And I think um, South Korea in general has been really unique because uh, South Korea is known as um, it's very technologically advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, education is so important. Um, everybody, uh, I mean, parents are always talking to each other about which university their student is got into, <laughs> right? It's like this huge competition. Yeah. So it's even the next year of, of pressure, I think on the students. Um, mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, just seeing in all of those contexts that kids need support, um, and like you can teach and, and show them that it's something that they can intrinsically work towards versus whatever that extrinsic, um, context they're in right um they can they can work to build that motivation for themselves yeah yeah that's really interesting and and we know like usually culturally there's a difference in education and I think I'm hearing that you were teaching in international schools so generally like an American context of like curriculum is that correct yeah. Yes, we we have most of our teachers are from Canada or the U.S. So some of our curriculum is Canadian, but mostly mm-hmm. um, U.S. Uh, curriculum. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it, the culture has such a huge impact on how students perceive education and how well they do and how hard they try and just overall. And so the curriculum is kind of like the footnote of it all, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and in Korea, a lot of our students go to these things called hagwons. So their parents pay for them to go to a hagwon is like a, it's kind of like a tutoring school, but wow. it's like basically they'll go for that specific subject. So they might come to our school and then they go to a math hagwon, or they could even go to a volleyball hagwon or an SAT hagwon. And oh, they, wow. they go after school hours and they get several more hours of wow. intensity 
everything in that. Um, so yeah, there, it's just a whole nother level of um, pressure and involvement mm-hmm. um, to succeed academically here in South Korea. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so what, what drove you to actually get into education and teaching? Oh, good question. Um, I, I kind of had two routes I wanted to take when I went into university. I either wanted to go into medicine um, or into education. Um, I've always loved science, um, love health, just, yeah. Um, but I realized, I think my gifting is um, relational and coaching and mentoring. And so I felt going down the, the doctor route, I wouldn't have that personal relationship or mentorship with patients, right? It's kind of a, you see someone every so once, once in a while and you help them, you don't really see growth over time, Mm -hmm. um, in the same way. And I think I had people that spoke into my life that said, Hey, you're, you know, you do, you're gifted at explaining things, or, um, I think that you'd, you'd be a good teacher. And so I just started taking some intro classes at Biola university, just like intro to teach class. And they talked about the call of teaching and it, not just being a profession, but a, a call that you need to feel deep inside. Cause it takes a huge level of commitment. Um, and yeah, after that, I just, I loved it. And I kept every class I took, I just felt even more passionate about this route. So then one of the things that I was thinking about when, when you were talking um, and talking about the pressure of education for your, for, you know, a lot of your, a lot of your students, um, and, and you being a very passionate person, um, how has the social emotional aspect changed for kids? Um, and, you know, I naturally, we're going to talk about COVID, but how, you know, how, how have kids been coping and how have your colleagues been coping along the same lines? Oh, great question. Um, yeah, I think I, so this just going a little bit of background before COVID even started. Um, I was an English teacher, like I shared before in my first two schools. So I taught, um, literature, um, mainly literature and, and then writing composition. Um, and so I applied when I came to South Korea to be an English core subject teacher. And in the interview, you know, the, the principal told me like, sorry, that position, that teacher's not leaving anymore. So I was almost like, why, why are we having this interview? Not really, but kind of like, are you just going to tell me there's no job? Kind of thing? Yeah. But he was like, wait, wait, like we saw you've taught some PE classes on the side for your other school or, and subbing and, they were like, we saw that you ran in the Olympics or you have this, the soccer experience. So they said, will you, they said, will you come out and teach all of our uh, PE health courses, weight training and start a track program at this school? Oh, nice. So it was this new, I was feeling a little bit, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm a learner. Like that's one of my strengths finders and I just love a new challenge. So I mm-hmm. thought, why don't I go do something new and see if it strengthens my teaching or if it's something I, I want to do instead of English. So, so I came out to kind of do that for one or two years and I think I saw the pressure that these students had and how almost like education with a lot of their core subjects, teachers, it could be this, like, it's just all about assessment, right? They're, they're trying to meet this assessment. There's a lot of cheating that would go on just because they had so much pressure. Like I have to get into Stanford. I have to get in. So I saw, yeah, that it really wasn't healthy in the other parts of their like sleep and stress Mm -hmm. and mental health and, and even uh, nutrition and those type of things. So coming, it was a blessing to become in as a health teacher, a health and PE teacher, because my subject wasn't seen at the same level as a core subject. I almost got to teach it, um, as a class that would help them get through the other classes, if that Mm -hmm. made sense, like learning strategies to, to do that. So I think I, 
I got a lot of, I, I developed personal relationships pretty quickly with my students. I was an athletic coach too, and I got to travel with them um, to different countries to compete before COVID. So for those four or five years before COVID started, um, I was really involved with their lives and kind of like a mentor coach, not just in athletics, but like, hey, are you sleeping enough? Or how can we work through some of these stress things or, or what you're dealing with? Or, mm -hmm. um, and so when we did go into the COVID situation, we went into, Korea went into a fully online uh, platform right away, um, our international school. And that was in March um, that it got pretty bad here. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, our school, we have the finances for everybody to be a one-to-one, -one, you know, laptop uh, school. So those students were able to learn virtually right away. Um, but I saw for a lot of those students, like seniors, et cetera, students that I had worked with for several years, just slowly, um, just kind of start to drop off the map. You know, like some of the classes were optional at first when, when teachers were trying to figure out how things would work. So they'd say, you can show up to the lecture or not, or just do the assignment. So you could see how students just started to get kind of depressed or unmotivated and they really needed that, um, yeah. that personal accountability or interaction. So it was honestly really hard to see that for a lot of our students. Um, but I found that I would, I would personally write each of them and ask to set up like a, you know, one-on-one -on -one Zoom conference or something that I would record. So it was child safety and stuff so that like other um, teachers or administrators could do that and just try to stay in touch with them on academics and personal life and I found that made a really big difference just checking in on them at a personal level. Well, How, what's the current COVID situation um, by you now? Like are you guys in face-to-face -face or is it hybrid? Or? Yeah, it's a lot better now. We um, finished last year. It was interesting. We did the whole rest of the school year virtually except for the last two weeks and then the students got to come um, on campus, but it was a choice. So some decided wow. to stay home, some came to campus. Now it's a hybrid mm -hmm. schedule. So they started off with one third of the students on campus and then the other two thirds would be at home working and then they would be on a rotational basis. Um, and then now it's improved again. So now it's two thirds. Um, so it's almost functioning like a flipped classroom. Mm -hmm. um, so my husband is a biology teacher. Like I said, at school, he teaches eighth grade biology. So he you know, does his labs in person or will do a lot of his um, kind of like working on the more complicated issues with the students while they're in class. And then when they're at home, he'll send stuff for them to read and, and work through stuff. And so then they can meet with them. So some of the students have actually said, I asked some of the seniors and they're like, we kind of like it better because we get a lot done on the day we're home. And then we get to wow. spend two days mm -hmm. with the teacher. So I was even as an educator thinking like, you know, sometimes yeah. I wonder if that's, you know, a healthy thing to think about down the line of giving students a little more space to yeah. get things done versus always being busy or yeah or I like through. that idea that thought how did um going online affect your 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 PE classes oh yeah good question <laughs> I I feel like I got fitter because of it yeah. um I felt like the only way I could do it was um to do all the workouts like with my students yeah. or to be live because I knew they were struggling to be inside so if I just posted some YouTube fitness video, it wasn't going to be right. motivating to them. So I would do, um, sometimes I would post different resources for them that I found, but most of the time it was a live, everybody join and I would have my screen big and I would lead through a workout and then I would have their screen small so I could kind of see them or check in. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would do different yoga, like lessons, different, like 
uh, creative ways to do strength training inside. We've used cans of soup, you know, for mm-hmm. they find different objects in their house that they'd have to like lift. Or we, I had them create um, choreog- um, do choreography with dance or different things um, in their apartment. Cool. So, so it was it was actually a lot of fun, and I, I got to be very hands <laughs> on. Yeah, that's great. And it, I mean, that's the way I was working out with my friends during COVID when we were in lockdown too. So. <laughs> a lot of people, I think, felt like they either did get fitter or they went the other way and got lazier. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, the other way is what you're referring to me. <laughs> I, I was Thank not. You. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, one of the things that, that you were alluding to, Amy, is, is, that, is that question that a lot of people have been asking how do you think education is going to change after, after this, you know, because it has to change. It's, you know, I think, I think that's just, that's the nature. So what have you seen there? And, you know, because we could, you know, I could, I could talk about here, but um, it it would be interesting just to see how, how you think education is going to change. Yeah. Good question. I, I think I've seen, obviously, certain teachers, it's been more stressful than others, right? Like if you're more of a master teacher, been doing it a long time, I think it's easier to step into that and say, hey, here's the essential things that a student needs guidance in. And like when we're in person, I'm going to be really efficient about working on these skills or these subject areas that I know they need guidance in. Where the other things like then giving them the tools and power to be like this other stuff, I want you to work on it on your own and then I'm going to give you feedback. And putting that accountability on them. So I've seen it both ways where some students, you know, have complained different teachers where they're like, I'm not learning anything. It's just stressful. And I feel for that teacher, you know, if they're a first year teacher and you're already stressed trying to figure it out and then you're doing, um, but I think like for what I was doing, trying to be creative in it. And then what I've seen that some other teachers do is, um, allowing them like students to do more, analysis or like research-based things on their own and then being able to come back and talk about their findings with their class. So it's a little bit more inquiry-based and then the teacher being able to like either guide that future inquiry or doing very like specific um, direct teaching or lecture on um, skills that yeah you need like a professional to teach you right like it's something so like for example well like with PE as an example when we couldn't do you can't have contact sports, right? Like you can't do basketball or soccer when you're not supposed to be touching at that time. So it's like kids can get bored with just fitness activities. So we started doing more like tactical analysis or strategy. So they'd have to watch different professional athletes or games and analyze which like how did their bodies like, like kinetically, they'd have to look at it and say, why do you think this athlete is able to jump higher than this other athlete? Like which muscle groups are they engaging, et cetera. So you could look at it from that standpoint, or you could look at it from an offense defense um, strategy, like which team. And so I found that like when students did that and then they came back to actually do something in class, they were almost, they had time to sit back and analyze it and then try something and weren't as, Mm-hmm. It wasn't as rushed where the teacher just does a couple demos and then they're expected to <laughs> to perform it. So, um, yeah, so that's an example of PE, but I think yeah. uh, with science, like my husband um, has been doing it for a while and he does a really good job of um, lecturing, but then giving them this time to go and try everything and then come back and ask lots of questions and then developing a new lesson based on, okay, everybody's asking questions about this thing mm-hmm. and then we're going to. 
Wow. And that's um, really cool how you were able to just embrace your expertise in science and think about, you know, PE in that way, because I don't think that students typically make that connection from, you know, science to, you know, physical activity. They just think like, you know, like either you're athletic or you're not, and you either like PE or you don't. And, um, but like you, you can kind of tap into the brainier, you know, kids and, and make them think about it. And if they want to be more athletic, they can think about it a little bit more analytically like that. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, It's been fun. It's forced me to be more creative in my teaching. So, (laughs) um, I, I, I guess you're, one of the things that, that I was hearing, and this is where my, I guess my professor site comes out. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that there's, it seems like teachers are em- embracing both Bloom's and Maslow. Um, yeah. mm. Finally, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you, you know, even though we've been, we've been talking about this for like decades yes. um, and we, and we teach it about it within our teacher ed classes. Um, it, it seems like teachers and, or just educators and, and parents are, are fully, aware now that there's the hierarchy of needs and then there's, and then there's these levels of learning that need needs, needs to, to take place. Can you talk about that? Mm. Um, just about what, you know, how, how both of those are, are connecting with one another. Yeah, that's great. I've actually been thinking about this a lot recently because I, um, I think I got, I became much more passionate in becoming a PE teacher of wanting every student that came into PE to somehow leave like loving activity somehow or loving like health. So that's why I, I taught a class called fit for life and they had to, they kind yeah. of put together a, um, it was like a health and PE course combined into one. So instead of going to PE class and just learning sports or just going to health class in the classroom, it was this combined, um, course. And like one of the units we did was they had to do all these, um, different like fitness assessments or tests and then like nutritional analysis on themselves. And then they had to set goals for themselves and then they learned different strategies to meet those goals. So whether it was they wanted to become more muscularly um, strong or gain endurance or flexibility, they actually had to set those goals and come up with a plan. And then they got time in class to work towards um, those goals. But I think through, through that, I started to see how, yeah, if the, if students basic need, are not being met, you know, like if the student's not sleeping or if the student is having, they're feeling turmoil at, at home or they're just, um, they're stressed or they don't feel like, you know, they're kind of ashamed of their body. They don't feel, they feel really embarrassed about trying something. Then they're not, they're not going to care about that subject or they're not going to try or um, be willing to move to that next level of learning. Um, and so I think from that, getting to to talk to each person about how, how can you take this information and analyze personally yourself? What are some of your strengths and weaknesses? Everybody has them. What are your goals and how can we work towards those? I think it kind of put everybody on this like equal playing ground where it wasn't just like, who's the most athletic or who likes sports and who's not. And I found in that sense, coming from that approach that a lot of students really jumped in and they, they owned it and they enjoyed learning. And, you know, I had a girl who couldn't even jog one lap around the track, like, before she just like hated pee, but at the end she was like, I'm going to run a mile by the end of this. Oh, like every day during my time, can I go up there with a partner and like work on this? Because mm-hmm. 
it wasn't this like we're all trying to compete against each other but here's um the different goals we'll make and obviously there's times where we do game play and team play and we're competing and competition is mm-hmm. important um but I think in PE I saw that where then students were able to go to that level where they're analysis they're doing themselves like oh why do I struggle with binge eating when I'm stressed or why do I have these insecurities about this or or what can I do and then they would look at that and then do some research on their own and then try to make changes um but I think in other subject areas yeah I've just seen it it's to put it simply like if the student doesn't think that you care about them then they're not going to care about your class very much. Like I think, and that's foundational subject. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can be so passionate about your subject, but if they can't tell that you have passion for them, they don't care, but you can also really care about them and then not be passionate about your subject. And they just like you and don't learn anything. So I think, (laughs) I think you need both like passion for your subject and for the, for the student. Um, And so I think that um, to like, and that's foundational too, like caring for your students, feeling cared for, Maslow's, you know, needs being loved. Um, and to Fred's point, like COVID has forced us all to slow down. And even us as educators, it's allowed us to just take some time to just really thoughtfully, like go back to those very basic foundational things that our students need and, and really like look at, am, am I meeting their needs? And if not, like, how can I? And, um, I would say, you know, just to the question too, that's probably one of the, the good things that we've gotten out of COVID is that we've just slowed down a little bit and we've become a little bit more thoughtful about our processes with, you know, teaching in our work and, you know, being more kind and compassionate and, and those types of things, I think. Well, one, one quick, uh, sorry, this is just a side note, but if you yeah. don't mind if I share oh, a quick story of something that happened this week, I was thinking about it coming into the podcast and um, it was encouraging to me because with COVID, I haven't, like I said, gotten that same personal contact with my students, but I had long-term, you know, some of them I've taught since eighth grade or coached a long time. And I had a student um, who came new to the school a couple of years ago and he just kind of joined cross country or in track because he wanted to make friends, you know, he wasn't really athletic or anything. And because of that, he got really into it, became a passion of his and, so he's become this like guru where he's always researching professional athletes and looking on athletic.net. And he's like, he'll come to me with these, like, here's my new training plan. You know, he's very analytical now Mm -hmm. and researching. So it kind of goes to show like he felt included and felt passionate about something. And then he just, he's gone into this next level, but Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not coaching him right now in this season because I needed to step back a bit. I'm coaching um, in the spring um, just with our baby. So it's been hard to be like, Oh, I'm not as involved in their lives right now. Um, but he will email me before each race and like kind of be like, do you have a pep talk for me? Or here's kind of my strategy, you know, (laughs) strategy Mm -hmm. or things like that. But he recently wrote and was just like saying how he was so discouraged and he has no energy, no matter how hard he works. Like he just feels like his body can't go. Like he, he doesn't have um, like any more gears left. So I was, um, you know, I wanted to respond to him with some race psychology stuff and things like that, but I just paused. I had some time to like, think about it, you know, like what you were saying a little more time and Mm -hmm. I was praying for him. And I realized like I had very similar feelings one season when I was racing cross country and Mm. doing things. And I remember finally I went to a doctor and they checked and I was very anemic. I didn't have enough iron. And, um, so I was just thinking about this kid and he told me like, I've just been running all summer. I haven't taken any breaks, putting it. And I was like, 
he's just been killing his, you know, red blood cells and not replenishing. So it was just, I had to very carefully, you know, there's a fine line with teachers. You got to be careful that you don't overstep your bounds. But I just said, Hey, like this was my experience. I'm not a doctor, but I think it would be maybe a wise idea to go get your blood levels tested. Just see when like rule it out. So he went with his mom and they went and he was very iron deficient, like at a a kind of a dangerous level. And, you know, he just came back and he's like, thanks for being, you know, one of the only people that that cares about this Aww. stuff, you know? And so it's just a small, yeah. like really it was like, it wasn't anything big other than being willing to listen to something outside of his mm-hmm. academic pursuits. Um, yeah. 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 And just to like, kind of think about it and then be able to like take our experiences and know that they're not wasted. Like yeah. you can use it to help someone else. Well, so. and, and that's why you were able to give them that advice is because that was your experience, but that's also how you connect with people is sharing your experiences. So I was very encouraged Mm because I felt like I haven't been able to help as much, but it was one way. Mm -hmm. And I think I share that because I know a lot of teachers and coaches are discouraged. They feel like I'm just doing all this work virtually and it's not making a difference. But I think if kids know that they can still contact you through an email Mm -hmm. or that you're still thinking of them or those things, it makes a huge difference. You don't even know how. Well, and and, and I think, Amy, you, you, you talked about it too. And I was talking to some people about this um you know we could we could learn content stuff you know all of us do uh we could we could learn about diversity we could you know we could learn about biology and blah 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 we we can't teach passion mm-hmm. um, you know we we people i feel that people can't learn that you know, it's, 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 it's something that's, that's in us. And I think you were, you were talking about that when, when you were talking about, you know, should, should you go into medicine or teaching? Um, you know, and I think, I think helping this one kid out is just who you are. It's, you know, it's just, you know, part of your, just part of your makeup. Um, and I, you know, and I don't want to down, you know, down, downplay it at, at all, but I think that's one of the things that's 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 growing from from this COVID um, epidemic too is that we're we're realizing that there's there's a lot of kids that really need a lot of help, and yes. and oftentimes it's it's just a gentle word, yes. um, you know, just to let mm-hmm. them know that yes, I'm still here. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know. So then with that, what do you hope to leave your, you know, all of your students with? Um, what do you, you know, what do you hope they will learn from you about their own life or just life in general? That's a great question. Um, my husband and I have actually just been talking about that recently when we've been, we are considering our um, move to Canada. And like I said, he's been at the same school for 12 years. Um, he's He's an elementary teacher and also worked in the tech department and now eighth grade biology. So we're kind of both that type where we, we like to teach lots of different things and move around. But it's like we're not actually leaving the school because we don't like it anymore. We don't like teaching or all those things. Like we love it. Like we love this context. But he he could sense this like I'm just really tired and I don't have that same passion or energy to give to my students right now. And I think it was this place of self-reflection where we never want to get to a place where we're just doing something in life because it's 
an obligation or because it's just a job. Like mm-hmm. it always needs to be something that we care passionately about and that we're all in. We're, um, yes. my, my dad used to tell me when I was competing, he'd say total release a TR instead of a PR, you know, they talk mm-hmm. about personal record, um, in mm-hmm. racing. Um, but he'd say TR. So total release. If you, at the end of the race, you released all of the energy you had for that day, all of your mental strength, physical strength, then you can walk away, you know, satisfied from your performance. And I love that. that used to help me a lot versus like, it's true. Someday you're not going to set a PR because yep. you are battling a stomach bug or something in your life's going on. And so I've mm-hmm. talked to my students about that, but we were talking about professionals having that model too, as a family. Like if we get to a point where we're just grinding things out and we're just doing it for a job, then we're, we're not setting a good example for our students. Like let's take some time to slow down, self-reflect so that we have this energy to be like, we can't wait to get back in the classroom and, and give and, um, share our expertise and and make new relationships. So I think that's what I would share and leave with my students is that you should always keep learning. Like Mm -hmm. you're never too old to learn (laughs) Um, no matter how much you learn to stay humble because the more, you know, like you realize there's, there's tons you don't know. And then also that, that total release, but, but in the sense of like, it doesn't mean going a hundred miles per hour and never giving yourself a break. Cause you just, you run out. It's the total release of, I'm going to give my best today. And then when I realize that my best is that I just need to like rest and I need to recharge mm-hmm. and do the next thing, then, mm-hmm. then that's okay. Um, so yeah, I think just balance and passion and learning is what I want to leave to my, my students. And, and as a, I think you're, you might be our first coach. That's, okay. that's you know, part of this too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that as a coach, you, you get more from your, from your, from all of your, um, all of your students, as opposed to, I don't want to say just being a teacher, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's, um, do you think there's a different dynamic there? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think because you, there's something about you spend those extra hours uh, with the student and they're also choosing to be there, right? It's something that right. they're, they want to learn. They're not, it's not just a subject they're required to do for their transcript or something Mm -hmm. so they come out and it's it's already something they want to do and then you're that person providing that support um for them or those expertise to their goals I yeah and I think physically I think there's just a unique way that we're created that when we um are pushing our physical limits it increases our mental strength right and our emotional strength and spiritual strength like you learn stuff about all parts of yourself when you're physically pushed to your limits Um, so I think as a coach when you're there to walk through um, failure and success with an athlete physically, then they want to talk to you about emotional stuff or they want to come and be like, what would you do if with this, uh, college like thing, they'll come and ask me for advice about school stuff too, you know? And, um, I don't think it has to be an athletic coach. I, I agree that that physical element's important, but I think anything that a student chooses to invest in, and if you're willing to be there, so if it's music or a club right. or something, then yeah. yeah, it's just a deeper relationship. Um, going, going back to, to teaching, what are some of your favorite units and what, and what have been some of your favorite, um, lessons? Mm, yeah. yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, I was having a lot of fun thinking back through the different years and different subjects I've taught. And, um, although I've been doing PE and health for the last five years, um, 
I got to teach a couple journal journalism electives on the side. Um, but I really, I love what I learn about students through my writing assignments. And so one of them, um, was this recipe biography and I've actually used it for a health class when I was wanting to get to know students and we were doing nutrition we kind of like blended the two together but they had to find a favorite recipe that represented just how they grew up or culturally so it was kind of a cool way you know we have kids from 50 different countries here in Korea but I also did it in Guam where it's very diverse and in Oregon and they have to go find their favorite recipe they grew up with bring it all the instructions and share exchange it with a partner so they're going to give that recipe and then they interview each other and they ask each other all these questions and once they've gathered that data they have to find a creative way to turn that recipe into one that that basically is a recipe for that person so they write a biography that says, oh, they were baked at, you know, this. And some people do latitude and longitude of where they were born, you know, or, um, you know, these uh, hmm. Mexican spice uh, Cajun. Like they have to add things in that represent that student's uh, background or passions Cute. into the recipe. Um, and yeah. so I think it was a fun way to teach symbolism um, and also have the students learn about each other, mm -hmm. et cetera, um, metaphor and simile, all of that. Um, so that was one of my favorites. Um I also really enjoyed uh, the My Name um, paper that I used to give students. It was, if anybody knows Sandra Cisneros, um, she was one of my favorite American authors, and she wrote a paper called My Name. And in it, she basically says her literal name, but then she goes on to talking about how she'd like her name to be this. She wished people um, knew her as this. Mm -hmm. And so the students get a chance to research the literal meaning of their name, why their parents chose their name. So they have to go back and ask their parents, mm -hmm. and then they have to write different um, things of how they would like their name to be remembered, kind of like their legacy um, goal paper. And Oof, that's so a good one. those are fun ways to get mm -hmm. to know students. I love those. Um, sorry, my last one, because uh, I'm passionate about my health and uh, <laughs> PE subjects now is um, I did a, a Fit for Life uh, movie uh, trailer that this, so the students have to make this like kind of documentary um, at the end of the unit or not the end of the unit, at the end of the course. Because um, I just felt that taking an exam on all these subjects like mental health and yep. stress and all those things wasn't going to be like super nope. <laughs> helpful for, <laughs> for application. <laughs> so they had to take all the things we learned, you know, whether it was we taught Krav Maga, I got, um, got to teach women self-defense, we did um, nutrition, all these different things. And they had to take five of the different topics we covered and make this documentary on um, what health looks like to them going forward. So like when you, it's a high school course, so it's like what how are you going to take ownership of your health once you leave for university and you don't have your parents around, et cetera. So they were pretty comical. Some of them, I said, you can make it a parody or you can make it, mm -hmm. you know, very scientific. And um, I loved seeing them apply what they had learned that year. That's cool. That's really cool. Fun. Gosh, those sound fun. I kind of want to do those. I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to take your classes. <laughs> now, if there's, if there's people out there that are, that are interested in teaching, around the world what would what would be some of your sage advice um well i would say like first if you're going to teach like kind of know try to get to know a little bit about your context or culture you're going to go into in, in advance and so if you know that that like let's say for example you're going to come teach in south korea like you'd want to know that education and academic results and like standards and testing is really important so if you don't feel like you can teach to that, then that's probably not a good fit for you. Like you don't want to come in and teach as an international teacher and say, Oh, I'm going to bring all of my, 
philosophy and try to change the culture's philosophy on education, if that makes sense. Like, not that you yeah. <laughs> you aren't true to yourself, but you don't want to come in and just be like, well, it's only about uh, exploratory learning. Test results don't matter at all. You know, when you're, when mm-hmm. it's like this culture, they're like, yes, everything's about, you know, results. So yeah. I'd say get to know the context you're going into and make sure that you, that aligns with your philosophy of teaching or that yeah. you feel like you can relate to that context. And then also I'd say spend a lot of time asking questions like of your students when you come, like ask, ask them like, Oh, what is this like culture culturally appropriate or how would your parents respond to this scenario? Or what's most important to you in, in this class? And, and I think the more questions you ask and you get to know what their pressures are, what their expectations or goals are, then you can come in and, even share your philosophies and they're more willing to listen like, Oh, they've taken time to see what's important to me or what the expectations are here. I'm willing to learn from them. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say just be an observer first versus a, I'm going to come in and yeah. change yeah, That's everything. great advice. That's really good advice. Very good. When we end our podcast, we like to ask our guests what their call to action is. And so this is the one thing that, educators and future educators would take from you uh that's generally our our listening population so what uh would you say is your call to action for that um that group of people i would say uh, keep the most important thing the most important thing mm. um i think education we're tempted to always change, which is good. I think we also need to be careful we don't become stagnant, but we shouldn't um, go too far on like a, a bandwagon of ideas or a shift. And we always need to make sure, is what I'm doing relevant to the student? Do they understand why I'm doing it? And yeah. um, is this going to be beneficial to their life and the better of the world? Mm-hmm. And so I know it sounds very general, but it's that that central idea is what I'm doing meaningful um, yeah. to not just me but to my student that's great I like that. if educators want to connect with you through social media uh do you have any outlets that you would like to share um they could connect with me i have um facebook and instagram i, I think i shared with you guys my um my profile names there so yeah they're welcome to connect with me there okay great all right. Well, Amy, it was such a pleasure to talk with you today, Very and good. I just loved hearing your um, experiences and your units and um, wish you all the best in your sabbatical next year in Canada. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Thank you. And yeah. um, keep in touch and, you know, let us know if you want to follow back up after your sabbatical. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. For Thank you. Mm-hmm.